So in 91, the, the, the regime collapsed and I got a chance to look at my at the first computers back then. Probably a 286 is my guess. It was black and white. I played chess on it and then I fell in love. So that was it. Um, was it I good enough? Was it impossible to beat the chess? Was it Was it hard enough that you couldn't beat the computer? All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, talking with George Bika. Did I pronounce that correctly? Close it up. All right, well, you pronounce it so we get it right, because I can't do, you know. Pizza. <laughs> it sounds like pizza, but with a B. Pizza. George Pizza. Yeah. Director of Information Technology. And you are currently, are you in Raleigh? It's nice down there. I've got snow yes, up here. I am wrong. Yeah, yeah. So the why don't you just give me and just for everyone knowing, if I sound a little bit, I don't know, hoarse or weird, this is officially Phil Howard's first podcast under the influence of COVID nineteen. I tested I tested positive two days ago and all of my kids, every single person in my family tested positive except for my one uh, 11 year old who had recently just gotten her tonsils out. So I don't know if that affects COVID. Maybe getting your tonsils out helps you not get COVID, but I'm about two days into this thing. And uh, it's, you know, some ups and downs. I'm not, you know, I'm not too out of it. I think I sound all right. We can still do this podcast, right? It makes it more. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, ho- I hope everybody is going to be okay and, and uh, you know, you get all the mild symptoms and nothing else. Yeah, yes, yes, God willing. So um, they're almost all they're almost all cured already. I'm I'm the last one that's that's following through on this. So give me let's start off with with your day job and what you're doing right now. You're in, you know, some sort of electrical manufacturing, which is pretty simple, you know. What's what are we doing on a what are we doing on a daily basis? Uh, that, was, that was me being sarcastic, good. by the way. Electrical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case anyone didn't my, catch my that. My day on a daily basis is, is very different. Um, I deal with vendors. I deal with large-scale projects and day-to-day problems that users have. Uh, I have a large staff uh, of IT, um, but most of them are actually outside the United States, um, mostly in China, but I also have staff in Vietnam. Um, and as well as U.S. Uh, so I make sure that they work right now. For example, it's uh, performance review time. So I got to uh-huh. prep and get ready for 2022 performance reviews and how much money we're all going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. If any, if any. Is there a, what's the language gap? Is there any language gap working with a staff? And I mean, obviously we know there's a time difference, but is there a language gap with China and, and Vietnam? And, and how does that work? It is somewhat of a language gap, um, but it's it's definitely overcome. Um, they speak English. Most staff are pretty decent at speaking English. I try to be very simple when I communicate with them, so mm-hmm. that's very important. Uh, keep it simple. Use simple words. Even though we're talking technical, um, they are brilliant guys, uh, but I don't think the English language barrier is not is not a big deal. And, it, and I'm assuming, obviously, China and, and Vietnam because of manufacturing, and I'm assuming there's a lot of manufacturing going on over there. Yeah, most of the manufacturing is happening there. 
and the headquarters is actually located here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And how about the Great Wall of China? Is there a firewall? Any firewall issues? How do you get around that? Yes, uh, the Great Wall Firewall of China. Um, it's the first thing that we think we about. We talk have about been you know. dealing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have been dealing with that uh, on and off uh, ever since the company started and started manufacturing in China. Uh, we have somewhat overcome it by a variety of uh, methods. Uh, the primary one is that now China telecom providers, China Telecom and China Unicom are the two bigger providers of yep. uh, China internet services. They allow what they are called internet fast lane, um, uh, internet lines. Uh, so what they do is they have less checks and they go through less filtering than normal internet. Uh -huh. It's a little slower uh, speeds than what you would get if you got like a vanilla internet access for a business yep. in China, mm -hmm. but it actually has better performance for international. Interesting. And then the, the, the second layer that we use is we use VPNs, side-to-side -side VPNs mm -hmm. to connect to our cloud um, hosting, public cloud hosting in um, Japan and anywhere outside China. So that helps. So by using those two layers, we kind of bypass most of the restrictions of the great firewall. The, um, I have a few customers with manufacturing in, in China that, that have helped in the past get around the Chinese firewall. I don't know if you've heard of Cato Networks. It's a kind of like a, like a global SD-WAN provider on their own network. So we've got basically, you know, co-location in mainland China. And then uh, we basically go from there to Hong Kong. And then we, we actually use the Cato network, which is like a multi-gig global network, kind of like a private MPLS backbone. So we use that as the kind of SD-WAN option for traversing back to United States, India, UK, you know, all over the place. Um, and that was one thing oh, because... Yeah, that was that was one thing because I, what was happening was a lot of these manufacturers, you know, China would Congress or whatever it was would go into like, you know, do something and they would shut down like the international like, you know, VPNs or firewalls or something and they would lose all their connection to to the where, you know, to the manufacturing warehouses, whatever we call it over there. So we had to find a way around it um, that way. But yeah, China Telecom helpful. 49% ownership, <laughs> whatever, however yeah. you have ownership in, in China, you can only have 49%. Um, That's right. just, so, um, cool. Um, how many employees, I guess employees, not the, we don't want to say headcount. We don't want to say employees. How big is your team? Uh, I've got six people reporting to me and, um, and then we are about 500 employees total as a company. So that's good. That's a, that's about the, you're a little bit over the ratio. I, I always, whenever I've talked with, looked at mid market, I'd call it mid market manufacturing. That would be anywhere from 200 employees, maybe to 10,000. The, the ratio of, of it leadership to end users is usually like one to a hundred. So you're a little bit over that ratio. If you've got seven people, it's in and about five hundred. So, you, so that's doing well. You must be doing something well with the budget there, and in managing the budget. You know, you must be good at asking for money. The, I had an interesting note from you when you took my my quiz on the website that you kind of got into this industry by fault. Like you were going to become a dentist. 
That's like me. I was going to become, oh, yeah. a, I was going to become a doctor, but that just never happened. I think I realized how hard it was and that my, my passion for being a doctor, you really have to be passionate for that. And that just wasn't there. So, so what happened there? What you were going to become a dentist and then now you're, now you're in it manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, this goes back to my early high school days. I'm um, Gen X um, and born, you know, like late 70s. And when I went to high school, I came across my first computer. Um, and, and I was born outside of the United States, as you probably would have guessed. Uh, I have an accent. So I, I was born in Albania, which is uh, in southern Southeast Europe. And uh, we were under the Iron Curtain, similar to North Korea. Um, so until do, you, do you speak Russian there? Early, is early that what 90s. we speak? Is that what we speak Russian there? No, Albania is a distinct, unique Indo-European language. We have our own, uh, very unique to uh, Indo-European languages. Actually, it's one of the four unique languages that are spoken in Europe. The, the one other one is being Greek. Uh, I think mm. Armenian is another one. I, I forget which the last one is uh, is spoken. That's unique uh, to the region. But uh, so yes, my father spoke Greek, uh, and and uh, he also spoke Russian. He had to learn Russian in uh, in school because we had a lot of dealings with Russians. But Albania speaks pure Albanian. It's a very unique language. Uh, but back to my computer. So in 91, the, the, the regime collapsed and I got a chance to look at my at the first computers back then. Probably uh, 286 is my guess. It was black and white. I played chess on it and then I fell in love. So that was it. Um, was it I good enough? Was it impossible to beat the chess? Was it Was it hard enough that you couldn't beat the computer? I was never a good chess player, but I enjoyed the <laughs> game. I think... I think I lost, but I don't remember. <laughs> if you put the computer on the hardest level, it's like almost impossible to win. It's just, it's ridiculous, yeah. even on medium level. Yeah. Wait, so were you, so you got a 286? Uh, no, I, I just, uh, it, it was uh, somebody else that uh, had that computer. And, um, and then two years later, my parents uh, were lucky to come to the United States as visitor to visit some family. And from there they brought... A uh, compact 486 back uh -huh. at my request, and uh, and I was the lucky owner of a uh, compact 486 uh, for a couple of years, and and that furthered my interest in computers. How many people, like, did you live in the country? Did you live in the city? Was it like sub? Like, what was it like where you lived? How how was it like crowded? Um, I, I lived in a, I mean, <laughs> I lived in a city. Yes. I okay. Was, uh, I lived in a city. Uh, Population. I'm just, I'm going somewhere there. The Trust me. I'm going somewhere with this. So back then your parents bring back a compact 46. Yeah. Yeah. How many people lived in your, was it like thousands? Like what was the population where you lived? No, uh, I mean, it was 60,000 at the time. It was no, that's big. Okay, city. so 60,000. Yeah, yeah. It's a decent size. Of the yeah. 60,000, how many people had a, had a computer? Oh, I, I probably say in the whole country there were probably less than 10 computers. That's wild. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. And how old were you? And you were the, you were the, how old were you when you got this computer? 
I was, uh, I'm going to say 14, maybe 15 at the time. So you're a 15-year-old with one of the one of the 10 computers out of maybe 60,000 people. Yep. That must have made you pretty popular. Well, <laughs> not really. <laughs> See, never, why was it not I cool? I never let anybody else touch the computer. <laughs> it was still not cool? Are you telling me it was still not cool to be a nerd back then? It was still not cool. See? That's no. the thing. No one cared. I was talking with my sister yesterday. Right. She said, remember punch cards? She was like, ugh. I was like, why do I have to do this stupid punch card program? They made my sister, who is older than us, she was born in like the 60s, right? They used to make her do punch cards in high school. And uh, she's like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why are they making us do that? And then, you know, now we have computers. And uh, so there was a big difference back then. It just wasn't, it was kind of like one of those things. But here you are, one one of the very few people with a computer what was that like? Was it like powerful for you back then? Was it like, did you show it to people like, Hey, check this out. Or like, I just want to, I just want to go back in time and, and, and know what that was like. It was exciting. Uh, there was a, a small group of people that did have interactions with the computers, but everybody else was ambivalent to them. They didn't really care. They didn't understand the power of the computers. Uh -huh. um, when I got it, it was running like DOS, Six, I think, maybe 6.2.2, if I recall correctly. And then I upgraded it to Windows 95. Um, you know, I, I was playing, like, the basic games that were built in there, you know. Uh, Gorilla, uh, Lemmings, if I recall correctly, and a bunch of other games. Lemmings was uh, awesome. People don't know. But yeah. Lemmings was, like, that was, like, high-end graphics back then if you had Lemmings. Oh, yeah. It was, Love you know, it was cool. Cards. And you had to upgrade to Windows 95, meaning... Meaning, I don't, most people don't understand, like, it was, like, not a command prompt. Like, it was Windows. Yeah. I, I, yes. I, well, I, I was lucky to actually interact with another computer. I worked as, a, <laughs> as an IT consultant. This is my first gig. I worked as an IT consultant for a jeweler. He's uh -huh. a very famous jeweler right now. Makes one of the best custom jewelers, I think, in Europe. But at the time, he just started out, and he was all into tech. And he still is. Uh -huh. And he actually had a computer and needed help with running his, uh, I believe it was some kind of 3D engraving capability that drove the... Um, See, uh, this is a beautiful example. A computer. This yeah. is a, beauti a beautiful example of how technology is a business force multiplier. He was one of the very, very few jewelers. Well, he, one of the very few business owners, forget the fact that he was a jeweler, that had a computer and used it and now he's like one of the best jewelers in, in the world, you're saying? That's right. Hmm. That's right. I mean, he, he designs beautiful custom jewelry, uh, even to this day. And But I remember back then he needed help with running the computer because he still didn't understand this. Like, he understood that the technology was the future, uh -huh. but he didn't have the expertise. So he brought me in. Uh, he was a friend of my dad, and, and I helped him out with uh, setting up the computer, running the tool, and he was creating wax molds out of this 3D engraver. It's all so, custom made and handmade by him. So, so you're consulting, you're consulting back in computers before it even happened. So, at what point were you like, you know, forget dentistry? At, were, at this point, were you like, forget dentistry? 
Oh yeah, I already gave up on that point. I I, I was thinking <laughs> I was going to go into dentistry before I even touched the computer. The moment I touched, I completely forgot about dentistry. It was not my thing to do. Although I would have been a good dentist. <laughs> <laughs> what? So what happened? So how do you end up over? So how do you end up over here? How do you end up over as IT leader in America? Maybe the, maybe the short yeah, story. Um, Just give me the exciting I, I came, parts. Yeah, yeah. I, I came into the United States as an F1 student. Uh, my father was kind enough to sponsor me for the first year of my college. And then I had to kind of piece together the rest of the years. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's a long story. And so in 1996, I came to the United States. I landed in Michigan to a, a small college there. And... Um, and then uh, I know you're going to ask me about my wife and how I met her and, and, and what hotmail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. This, yeah. Let's get to the, let's get to the important stuff. So yeah. So anyways, yeah. How did you meet your wife? So, yeah. So I came to the United States in 1996 uh-huh. and uh, I needed an email address at that time. And I went to the college library and I signed up for a hotmail. Uh, hotmail at the time just, had just launched or it was very fresh and you could look up anybody in the directory <laughs> because there was no spam. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, I believe a couple months later, my, um, uh, I checked my inbox and sure enough, I get an email from a friend of mine from Albania that said, Hey, I don't know if this is George, but if you are, um, you know, I'm so-and-so and we're here in Philly. Um, and if you are really George, you know, get in touch with us. This is our phone number, you know, and, and call us. So sure enough, I'm like, yeah, that, that's her. So I call them and, and sure enough, uh, those two friends were in Philly. I got in touch with them. Uh, I spoke uh, for a long time back and forth. And then I went to visit them for Christmas. Um, and one thing led to another and I married one of the girls. Uh, so... I'm going to bring back the directory for Hotmail. Imagine. That's right. That's People right. ruined it. Everyone ruined it. We used to just be able to use it like Damn a phone. ruined it. It was like right. a phone book. It was like a phone book, you know? Yeah. You could just look anyone up. That's wild. I do not remember that at all. But that's crazy that that, that, that used to be a feature. I, I, yeah. I really don't remember that, which is... Uh, I, I, still have, I still have my old email address from Hotmail as an alias now because it's no longer available uh, but it's an it's an alias to my outlook.com uh, email address still so if you do still know my old email address you can reach out to me still and which <laughs> happened my my old college buddy from from that college actually reached out to me after like uh-huh. 20 years really and he said i don't know george if this email is still good and sure enough, he, he lives in Ohio. He's a policeman right now. And, uh-huh. and we got in touch and I was like, wow, blast from the past. I can't believe it. You kept my email address. So Hotmail twice for um, keeping in touch. Forget Facebook. So, yeah. <laughs> Good. We're, we're, on a, we're on a heavily, heavily weighted uh, uh, Microsoft platform anyways, considering that this is going to be released on LinkedIn. So, yes. So everything Microsoft, Microsoft for the win everywhere. The, the, well, which begs the question, I'm assuming you guys, are, are you guys on Microsoft? Are you on teams? 
We are Microsoft, we are on Teams, yes. Uh, Office 365, or I should say Microsoft 365 now is, is a big platform, a big collaboration tool for us. We are all cloud-based, most of our services are all cloud. Um, I think the only thing that we run are some in-house tools for engineering and ERP. Everything else is cloud. Remember when cloud was the enemy? Like, it wasn't too long ago, like two years ago. Like, the cloud? Like, no. Remember that? I think people abused the cloud. I They saw the potential, but they didn't realize the cost. It was, like, insecure. Um, people were worried. We're going to lose everything. Yeah. The, I, it does take a little bit of a faith to give everything you have to somebody else and hope that they're doing backups and following correct processes. Well, I don't think hope shouldn't be a, I don't think hope should ever be a strategy. What do you think? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> this is why there's audits. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, let's, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm going to hope my way that this doesn't happen. Uh, so what do you do in that situation? What kind of, uh, I'm just out of curiosity, any, any best practices that you have as IT director, IT manager, leader, IT, I always say IT yeah, director because so it's just a common thing that I think of. When I've been in this business for now for a long time and, um, there is certainly some flags and some questions that you can ask a vendor regarding their, um, security and and operational best practices mm, um, vendor flags I like uh, this. you can the, the biggest indicator is um certifications when it comes to compliance uh whether it's uh, some kind of SOC or some other uh compliance that they can provide uh to you that mm -hmm. means that somebody has audited them make sure that they're doing their correct disaster recovery they're following procedures for backups and and all that uh Correct. Uh, you know, they, they are taking care of security. They are using encryption. Um, doing, What's the biggest like, red flag? Network. What's the biggest red flag you ever ran into on a vendor? What was the biggest like cover up? Uh, what was the biggest cover up? The biggest cover up. Oh, I'll have to look into this. Um, usually, I mean, I, here's I've what I find. Usually, the yeah. red flag is 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 covered up with a strength. This is our strength. That's, that's what I found. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? yeah. and really that's just them like selling around like a, a hole in their system. Like, like I remember, I remember some guy saying, we're not voice over, we're not voice over internet protocol. No, that's not us. We're, we're voice over PI. We're voice over private internet. We're like, what? Right. Like, what are you talking about? And, uh, really what they meant was, is you have to buy an MPLS circuit and, uh, have a point to point back to our data center in order for this stuff to work. Yep. <laughs> If that makes sense. So they turned it into a strength. No, no, no. We're not voice over internet protocol. We're voice over private internet. And much more expensive. That's why. Um, so questions to ask. Red flag. So, yeah, SOC, SOC 1, 2, uh, HIPAA compliancy, some sort of essay, some yeah, sort of PCI, government. Yeah, I think like this. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. If they follow any, any, any um, you know, like government compliance audits, um, what are their... Uh, security best practices, disaster recovery, how frequent they do it. Uh, if they don't follow, if they don't have any certification, doesn't mean that they are actually bad, but um, you could ask them a questionnaire. And we fairly uh, often used to get questionnaires when I used to work in as a, at a company that did provide internet services. And we didn't really have compliance per se in a lot of the services, but we had that covered with 
um, robust backup and disaster recovery testing and all that other stuff. So, gotcha. I think it's it's a degree of uh, you know if if a customer wants to test you, make sure that if you claim something, you better be able to back that up. If you say that you've got disaster recovery and the customer says, well, show me your disaster recovery um, that you did from six months ago or the last one you did, you better have some documentation that mm. you did that. Work-life balance as an IT director. Yeah. We have people that work like crazy and work all hours of the night. And there's, how, how do you, how do you manage that considering there's really no end in mind when it comes to technology or have you gotten to the point where it is automated and you feel like you're like just steering the ship, so to speak? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, it's a personal choice and you as a person have a responsibility to live first and then work to be able to provide for that living. This is my philosophy in life. Uh, so my thinking is, um, my baseline is 40 hours. If I can do 35 hours uh, for the week, that's great. But baseline is 40 hours. I'll, I'll do extra hours on a one-off, but I won't commit to 60 or 80 hours, um, every single week. Um, so for example, you mentioned that there's a time gap between me and my team in, in, uh, in Asia. Mm -hmm. So how do I communicate with them? Well, I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with them every week. Um, I dedicate about 20 minutes for each person and we speak uh, every Monday night for me, which is Tuesday morning for them. And then I have on Thursday, I have a group scrum that's about, I'll say 40 minutes long that we talk about all our projects and all that. And again, that and that's is on at, Thursday? at 9 p.m. That's on Thursday? Yeah, we, okay. yeah Thursday night uh, for myself. It's Friday morning for them. Mm -hmm. um, so how does that, those hours that I have to spend, it's, it's about an hour and a half that I spend uh, on Monday and about an hour that I spend on Thursday. How does that fit in on my work schedule? Well, I leave a little early on Monday and I leave a little early on Thursday. That's, that's the, the end of it. I mean... I don't have to commit eight hours in the office and then do an extra hour and a half uh, on top of that on, on Monday. Um, yeah. So I have to find that balance. And this is my philosophy. If you are working consistently 60 hours or more, that means you, you are, uh, you, you need somebody else. You need to hire somebody else because you're not really, um, it, it's a disservice to yourself. And really, you, you're going to end up burning out. Unfortunately, in IT, burnouts are fairly common if you don't really follow that good life-work balance. I've never been able to, to say that you know, I've been burned out by a job. I've been to jobs that are fairly intensive, mm -hmm. um, and, and I've worked. Mm -hmm. But uh, the most part, you need to find that job. You need to speak to your supervisor, your manager, or somebody else and explain the situation that this is not sustainable. 40 mm -hmm. hours, I think, is, is very reasonable to work and, and mm -hmm. no more unless absolutely necessary. And this includes on call, by the way. If you are working on call, um, there should be some kind of um, um, compensation, either monetary or some other mm -hmm. compensation time-wise if mm -hmm. you're doing on-call service. Nothing is free. What? No, but I never turned down a free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from, from, a, 
from from a vendor. Yeah, you don't have to unless it's it's a, a violation of some kind of uh, ne- law or, or a policy. I never turn down burritos uh, for anyone out there listening. Um, <laughs> um, what is it's there's a difficult kind of weird conundrum for IT leadership, meaning. Only in the last two decades has it become a real job. Two decades, maybe more than that. Maybe three decades. We'll give it 30 years. But really 20 years. In the last 10 years, it's really gotten crazy. Amazon blows me away. I'm just shocked when I look at... It's a it's a GUI, right? It's an interface. It's, it's just amazing to me how people and things have grown with technology. It's... A, it's um, it's quite amazing to me. So with that, yeah. it's like a whole new frontier of, you know, I don't know what, you know, what to do or like, what's, what's the end game. You know, I think doctors had an end game retirement of some sort. Lawyers had an end game, right? Um, what's the IT leaders end game? Is it the same now? Is it just like, I, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't, th- I, I think 10 years from now when people can't work anymore or don't want to work or whatever, what's the, do, are, do IT leaders and, and people have an end game in mind? Do they have a clear route to the future or is it, I'm just showing up to work every day? Yeah, that's a loaded question because it has a lot of nuances to it. So first of all, you're absolutely right. Uh, 10 or 20 years ago, the IT landscape was much more simple. Uh, You could have people that knew a bunch of technologies and they were comfortable with running a whole IT department. Nowadays, you are more likely to be siloed into a specific role, especially if you're in a larger organization. You know, you're going to be only dealing with storage or you're only going to do security. You're only going to do virtualization for desktops. You know, you can narrow that down. And then you compartmentalize these departments so much that it becomes like a turf where where is my job that ends and who else is going to do the rest of the job. So if you want um, a project done in IT, then you are going to have to involve and direct all these people from different IT departments to kind of work together and, and complete the project. That's the complexity of, uh, of an IT manager. And when it comes to IT staff themselves um, and what's their end goal, I think the outlook in life should be such that you, you really need to think about your skill set down the line. If you are a young person now and you're doing help desk for some basic level, is that what you really want to do when you are about to retire? How expendable are you compared to a hungry young man uh, that is willing to do your job for like a lot less than you? So your only option is to grow your skill set, become better, and become um, somebody with with better skill set than just doing help desk, um, you know, late in in your life before retirement. First, it's not going to provide you that retirement goal that you want. And second, you're going to find yourself out of a job very quickly. Um, and it's going to be tough to find that job if you, if you don't have the skill set um, at, at that age. So my advice is develop those skill set while you're young, 
make yourself learn the back end, whether it's uh, servers and networking security, hmm. and and then um, you know figure out what's your end goal based on that. Your your only option is to relentlessly grow. <laughs> yeah, I like unfortunately, it. <laughs> as somebody has said, uh, technology changes every couple of years, which is still true. Although I would say less so now, maybe maybe every three years technology changes, but it still changes radically. Mm. Um, so you still have to keep up with uh, endless changes, constant changes all the time. Nothing is static in this world. I, you know, I look back at technology. You know, even three years ago, it was so different that than today. You got to keep up with everything. Always learn. Otherwise, you're going to fall behind and you're going to be discarded. Employees hmm. or employers are, are ruthless in that regard. Nothing Especially is static. if you're overpaid and, and uh, no. underqualified. Nothing is static, even your IP addresses. They're not. That's right. <laughs> there should be some, uh, I mean, should coin that quote or something. It. There's gotta be some quote there. It's not right. Because we're going like, they're just not, they're, they're going to disappear. There's gonna be no more static IP addresses. IPv4 and IPv6. No IPv4, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if people are not learning IPv6 now. They're going to be obsolete. Uh, at some point. Uh, nothing is static. Even your slash 29. Um, I like that. I feel like we should coin that. I wonder if that's ever been done. I wonder if that's ever even been said before. I like that a lot. The uh, manufacturing—I never even thought about this, but I, I would think: uh, how's the supply chain, and how's the supply chain affecting you? Eh, we're in, <laughs> didn't sound too excited. We're, we're suffering, I could say. I mean, we we are embedded in the in the manufacturing supply chain. We don't actually produce anything per se, but we are part of a larger electronic manufacturing. Uh, flow so any chip shortage any covid um, situation impacts our production lines and our bottom lines directly it, it has been difficult a couple of years um, most of the time the factories tend to close down for a week or two if there is a covid infection plus the chip shortage has slowed down the factoring of um, of the products for our vendors I'm sorry for our clients. Uh, so it has impacted our bottom line, for sure. I used to have a larger team actually, and I've had to let go of some of my team members, even though it was tough. But you know, unfortunately, it was required because we we shrank down as a business. Mm. And I'm hoping that 2022 is going to change things around. Uh, the semiconductor industry just announced like. A crazy I think it was 500 billion dollar profit mm -hmm. this year even though there's a chip shortage mm -hmm. so I'm assuming 2022 is gonna turn this around and it's just gonna be off from here and do you think that profit was because is that profit just due to supply and demand like just people could charge more money like I want to go uh, buy a Ford. Probably so. I mean, you look at you know, you look at the car industry, for example. Oh, I was I you was, just you, you read my mind because I'm going to. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to buy a you know, I just want a new I don't know, diesel Chevy. Yeah. So, Heck I, no, I'm it's one hundred and twenty thousand. Looking for a car to buy. Yeah, exactly. So right now, the price of a car from 2019 to 2022, it has jumped up by ten thousand dollars. This is the average car price. It's it crazy. Thirty-five thousand uh, dollars, or thirty-some thousand dollars in 
2019. It is now forty three thousand dollars in 2022. It's insane. And this is a new car average. Yeah. yeah. And if you go anywhere, if you go to any dealer, you're lucky to find five cars in the whole lot. When I mm. went there, I was shocked. I thought they were remodeling. And they had moved the car somewhere and they said, no, 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 this is all we got. And if you don't buy this right now in two hours, I'm going to sell this to somebody else. It's like the, e- the sales guy's the easiest job ever. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah no. Right now, right now. But I, I don't know in next year, I think uh, you look at the parking lot fields and somewhere in Texas or Michigan where all mm. these cars are parked, they're waiting for chips to be put in. Mm. And they're going to be sitting there for a couple of years with no chips. And then after, once they put the chips in, they're going to flood the market. So we're going to have, my, in my opinion, a flood of new cars and the prices of new cars are going to come down significantly, hopefully hmm. from this competition. But it's going to be look bad for... Uh, for the salespeople at that time, I, I don't know. I mean, it's gonna nah. be the salespeople never have it bad. Like they do well in a down market, <laughs> they do well in an up market. So they'll just sell more. They'll just go for qua- they'll just go for quantity <laughs> at that Maybe, point. But who is gonna buy these cars that have been sitting in the parking lot for two three years? Uh, I, I don't mean, know. Yes, you, if I get a good out. deal, you better give me a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to do is. Can pull the chips out of the car. Can't we just go back to making cars simple? You know, I've never been more disappointed yeah, by the. So that, that was the discussion. You know, like let's do cars that are back with the carburetor and no few, you know, electronic. Yeah, fuel let's do and it. I'm like, you know, is it cold? The car won't start. Is it, uh, you <laughs> We're know, not driving anywhere, anyways. The car won't start. The carburetor has all kinds <laughs> of other problems. You know, computers are really good at at making fuel efficient and keeping up with the standards. So, yeah, we well, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. If you had any one piece of advice, major piece of advice to uh, people out there listening, uh, as a person who somehow convinced his parents to bring a 486 back on the plane, I'm assuming it was on the plane, back on the plane to Albania, all the way back, and then to come all the way to to America, find your wife via Hotmail, which is really cool, um, and been through quite a bit of growth, and I would say minor tribulations. What is your piece of advice to people out there listening? Um, for the IT managers that are looking to get their budgets uh, filled, I say... And this, I don't know exactly what the the exact uh, U.S. uh, expression is, but my expression is, if you want a bunny, ask for the donkey. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's funny. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying... Just just ask for more than what you really need so you can fill in your budget. Um, For the the regular hands-on folks, you know, keep your work-life balance... um, with your family in mind, that's, that's the most important thing in life, and it's not the job. Uh, job should only be there to support you for your life events. So be there for the family. Time flies by really fast. It's you easy to let stress. Kids. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's easy to let stress and the a sense of, and when I say sense, it's merely a sense of urgency and impending events and all kinds of crap going on in your life. It's easy to get wrapped up in a sense of, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed, right? But I think what 
and I've just found this from my own uh, periods in life where I just said, I don't give a crap and I'm just going to ignore everything. And I found is that when I did that, not much changed. I still did okay. In fact, I did better. In fact, I did better. You know, you, you've got your, you come back from vacation and you've got an inbox full of emails. You can just select all and delete. The people that really <laughs> care to follow up with you, they're going to email you back. It's true. Ignore, Whatever ignore, 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 ignore. Don't watch yeah. the news. Don't listen to the news. I threw the TV away years ago. I, I think it was oh, part, I think it was in like a the four hour work week or something. One of those Tim Ferriss books I read, he's like, don't worry. He's like, just, he's like one of the, he has like all these different, like step out of your comfort zone, little exercises when you read the book. Like one is like, I think he said, just lay down in the street and play dead in like the middle of New York. And just, you know, you just have to sit there for like a minute and play dead and like to get out of your comfort zone, you know, just like the feeling of people staring at you and like, what the heck is this guy doing? You know? And another one was, uh, no news like for a week. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, and basically, he, talked, he said. He basically, he said, like, don't worry. Like, if something important happens, like, you'll hear about it. Like, did you hear about that? Exactly. And, yeah. uh, anyways, it's true. So yeah, my my philosophy is the less social media, the better. The only thing I have in terms of social media is LinkedIn and uh, Reddit. Um, that's it. I have no Twitter. I have no Facebook. I have no WhatsApp. Um, I have no TikTok or or anything else. That's it. LinkedIn and, and, and Reddit. These are the only two. TikTok. I wouldn't even know what to do with TikTok. That just, it's just weird to me. I wouldn't even want Can it. you believe that that is the number one most heavily used website in the world? It surpassed Google for a while. Oh. It is ridiculous. Help us. I don't even know. It, it, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I, uh, I want to block it for all my kids. They and this is why, and people are going to, people are going to bash me for this, but this is why democracy is doomed to fail because it is a rep, it is a government by the people for the people of the people. And if the majority of the people are on TikTok, we're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was uh, lucky to be born in a, in a country that was completely totalitarian and I've lived in the greatest <laughs> democracy of them all. And I can say there's pros and cons to both. Somewhere in the middle is the good part. Well, I just don't know where that is. <laughs> Somewhere between uh, totalitarian control and complete and utter uh, representative freedom of yeah. the of humans' desires of human desires exactly. somewhere in between there is um is a happy medium so it's That's it's right. like yes if we just let our kids do anything and everything all the time and vote if the kids voted on what they would have for dinner then it'd be ice cream every I mean, night yeah, let's be honest if the kids day. voted if I let the kids vote we'd all be they'd all be like done they'd be stupid unhealthy. And uh, who knows? Numerous other things. Maybe we should maybe we should do a, a test on that. You yeah. know, control groups it, and everything. <laughs> in my family, Phil. In my family, I, I call this a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> this is what it's called. <laughs> Love it. Writing this one down. Benevolent dictatorship. I am running that. Go ahead. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna upgrade from meritocracy because I run a meritocracy to benevolent dictatorship. I like this better. Yeah. 
you you basically <laughs> are a dictator, but you do all the good things, you know, for your constituents. <laughs> but they need to listen to you because you you are the dictator. Yes. What it should be. Yes. Trust me. Um, trust me. This is good for you. Yes. Yes. You'll know better. Yes. Hate me now. Love me later. Something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Hate and, me now. Love me later. I believe if you follow that, if you follow that, your kids will appreciate it when they're grown up and understand. Mm. Because right now they, they think that, you know, they are right, especially if they're teenagers, mm. they are right and we're wrong. And, and when they become dads and, and mothers, then they'll mm. say, you know what? Mike, my, my no. right. No, I'm one of those homeschooler people that's completely sheltered his child from all of the world and taken all their devices away and keep them held um, up inside a house. Not really, not entirely, but it is amazing how adults tell me my kids are mature and can hold a normal conversation, which is cool. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. These shows always get so great at the end. I wish we could start there. I wish we could do like the show in reverse. <laughs> you know, I wish we could start with benevolent dictatorship. That would just be great. They just the shows just seem to get so good towards the end. Well, sir. Hopefully all the listeners have not got bored and missed the good part. Yeah, if they've made it this far, they know that dictatorship is the way to go. That's right. Have an absolute um well, I hope the the year I hope this year uh turns out better for the the microchip yeah. shortage and I hope that we do get a flood of cheap cars at least for my sake. Yes, and for my sake. And thank you, Phil, for hosting me uh, at your podcast. It has been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. If you like this or any other episode, make sure you rate it and share it with one of your friends. And remember, when it comes to IT, you always need to be dissecting, analyzing, and improving.